Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but we would love to meet you in person. All are welcome, and that includes you. So if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service at the corner of Arthur Ashe Boulevard and Grove in the historic synagogue across from the art museum. Can't make it in person? No problem. We are also live streaming on YouTube. Contact our administrator at tikvatdirector at gmail.com for the link during the week or contact us on our website tikvatisrael.com. There, you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. So as many of you know, I'm standing here to present this year's fourth annual Humility Award. The Humility Award is presented each year on the Saturday before the Super Bowl to the humblest member of the congregation. How many of you think that is you, that you're going to win? Okay, see, you lost. If you raise your hand, you lost. (laughs) Since I won last year, of course, I'm presenting this year. Of course, I've both presented and won every year since its inception. The first year I won, but to show my humility, of course, I gave away the trophy. The year after that, I just refused to accept the award, you know, out of humility. Then last year, I didn't even attend just to show how humble I was. So I had a video of myself presenting to no one. It was amazing. How many of you remember that? Nobody? Okay. Anyways, it's time to announce this year's winner, and the winner for the most humble person goes to... Yeah, it says me. Wait, are you me or am I me? Thank you, thank you. Thank you. I'm truly humbled by this award. No one's clapping. Okay, that's all right. So... (laughs) So obviously today we're going to talk about humility. Is it really that elusive, right? How hard is it to be truly humble? And what is the secret to being truly humble? And why be humble in the first place? Why is it important? Well, for one thing, it's a commandment. Seek humility from Zephaniah. Put on humility from Colossians. Have a humble mind, 1 Peter. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, 1 Peter. Sometimes when I'm putting on my tallit, I will remind myself of this very verse as I enter into worship. I remind myself that I'm putting on humility. There's other verses that say we put on Messiah, right? We put on him as if we're putting on clothing, and it's to remind ourselves of the humility of the Lord. Yeshua promises all throughout the Gospels that God will exalt the humble and what else? Bring down the proud. So not only is it a commandment, but even secular psychologists agree that it is a helpful character trait. In an article on verywellmind.com, they maintain that humility leads to a stronger connection with others, more positive emotions, a clearer understanding of ourselves, and a more mature relationship with God in one's faith. But we do have to define humility. If it's about being hard on yourself, it doesn't seem that rewarding, does it? But does it involve self-examination? And if so, how much? Well, here is what the sage Jim Gaffigan, who's also a comedian, has to say about this. In the context of folks that look in the mirror while they work out. I want to look at myself 
while I work on myself. I should make a recording so I can listen to myself while I look at myself, while I work on myself, as I leaf through myself magazine and read about how myself can improve myself. Maybe I'll go to my Facebook page and look at my photos of myself and read what myself has written about myself. Unquote. If I could add to that, we do that, right? We have self-improvement to work on our self-esteem. We have self-help to fix our self-worth. We have self-actualization to promote self-love. It's a lot of self. But is that any of that going to help with genuine humility? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's a cultural thing, but most Jewish people are really good at what I call navel-gazing. Just sort of... Uh. And, and, you know, maybe it's true for other cultures as well. It might transcend. As a classroom teacher, I was taught to always examine my practices and reflect on what I could do to improve. In Mississippi, I used to videotape my classes occasionally and then reflect on my instruction with a colleague or with my director. This certainly made me a more effective teacher. But is all this navel-gazing really healthy when it comes to our spirituality. I believe that this practice of self-reflection and inward focus might be a good model for professional development, but it's not a good model for our spiritual life. What is there to look at if I focus on myself? If I'm trying to be humble, can I look at my accomplishments? By no means, as Paul would say. Let's say someone comes up to me and mentions how thick and lush my hair is looking. (laughs) This happens a lot. Can I gaze upon this accolade too long? Do not gifts, abilities, and anointings come from Hashem? If I think about my feats of strength too long, I am liable to forget the one who empowered me to do them in the first place. If I'm looking to be humble, though, perhaps I can look to my mistakes. What do you think? (laughs) Thank you. I think that was Jason. That was good. This is often our common go-to, right, if we're trying to be humble. It certainly seems humble. It has the, the whiff of humility. What could be more humble than focusing on my own failures and, and shortcomings, putting ourselves down or thinking about that? But I think this is really a kind of false humility. This is not humility. This is more like humiliation or shame. It doesn't, it doesn't really help us. I know that King David struggled with this because this is what he wrote in Psalm 51.3. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Do we ever feel this way? Our sin is always before us. It's like always thinking about it. It's like everywhere you look, there's past mistakes. But this is not the secret to humility. This is not the way. Focusing on ourselves and trying to work it out on our own only leads us inward toward the navel, right? Jeremiah 17.9 puts it this way. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Another translation for the first part of the verse says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. In other words, if we go into our own heart ourselves and try to resolve things, we're entering into a dangerous, hostile territory. It's a land of deception. It's a place that defies understanding when we're trying to go in on our own. There was a TV show where a doctor once tried to perform surgery on himself. He was that proud, and trust me, it did not end up well. But this is what this verse is saying. It's like we're trying to do heart surgery on ourselves while we're still awake. You know, you need need a surgeon to do that. You can't do it. Who's our surgeon? Who's our soul doctor? The Lord. The Lord is our soul doctor. 
if I can say that. It's better for us to trust the soul doctor than to try to go in ourselves. Psalm 139, 23, 24 puts it like this. I really like this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's like saying to the Lord, okay, you take the scalpel. You do the surgery. I can't do it. I can't do it on myself. In other words, it is not we ourselves who gaze into our own hearts looking for sin, but rather we ask the Lord to go into our hearts and show us the things that aren't pleasing. In this way, we won't be surrounding ourselves with iniquity and deceitfulness, the deceptiveness of our hearts, but we will be able to see the Lord. We'll see the grace of a forgiving father who can correct us and lead us one step at a time. And we won't be overburdened by our sins, right? But we will be able to entrust them to the Father. I think it boils down to where we are focused. If we are focused on ourselves and trying to be humble, we're ultimately just going to keep our wheels spinning. It's not going to be our accomplishments. It's not going to be our sins and mistakes. It's got to be where we're focused. Imagine if I wanted to kneel down before the throne of the king. There are two ways I could humble myself. I could, you know, hit my head like this, Or I could just lower my head and acknowledge. I could lower my head and acknowledge the sovereignty of the king. It's easy to be hard on ourselves, even to use self-deprecating humor. When I was growing up, I did this all the time. But gradually as I matured, hopefully I do it less and less. Turning our focus inward is not the key to humility. So it must be what? Turning our focus upward. You got it. When we are aware of the greatness the majesty of God. It helps. It helps us to have the right frame of mind. I don't confer with Breno on the songs that he picks, but I know that he prays and seeks the Lord as to what songs he should do. And you notice all of the songs focused on the majesty of God, on the glory of God. And I think that was on purpose from the Holy Spirit, because that's exactly what we're talking about. Whenever we come to our own limits, we have an opportunity to recognize the one who has no limits. And this brings us to this week's Haftarah portion from the last chapter of Isaiah 66. And this is from an earlier part that we didn't read, but it's our Haftarah portion. Heaven is my throne, says Adonai, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house could you build for me? What sort of place could you devise for my rest? Didn't I make all these things? This is how they all came to be, says Adonai. The kind of person on whom I look with favor is what? Is one with a... Poor and humble spirit who trembles at my word. Poor and humble spirit. God looks on the humble person with what? Favor. This person reveres the word of God. They are focused on the king and they are looking at the Lord and therefore the Lord is looking at them with compassion. The Hebrew word here, it's one word for look on with favor. It means to gaze at, to regard with pleasure, favor or care, to behold, consider, regard, have respect, and see. Don't we want the Lord to look at us that way? And so we are looking at him. We're looking at him, and he's looking at us that way. This is God's response to our looking to him in humility, and he looks upon us. Isn't that motivating? That's beautiful, right? Now, in terms of the first part where God asks, what kind of house could you build for me? I imagine that Israel would read this and think, We did build you a house. 
well, what do you mean you can't, you can't be contained in a, in a house? We built you a, a tabernacle and we built you a temple. And then after this, after Isaiah, we're gonna build you another temple. And look at all these great things we did for you, Lord. Yes, the Lord does dwell in his temple. And yes, the Lord dwells in this temple. He dwells in us because our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. However, he is not limited by the temple or by us. Heaven is his throne, is what the scripture says, and the earth is his ottoman. The earth is his footstool. This language shows us that God is king over all of heaven and earth. See, what happened was they were looking to the temple and they were limiting God. They were saying, we built you a house. And he's saying, yes, and I do dwell there, but I'm not limited by that because I'm king over heaven and earth. God is not limited by space. Once in 1 Kings 20, Israel was attacked by the king of Aram. The enemy army was defeated, but this is what the enemy army was reasoning and what they were thinking. And this is from, again, 1 Kings 20. Meanwhile, the servants of the king of Aram said to him, their God is a God of the hills. That's why they were stronger than we were. But if we fight them on level ground, we will certainly be stronger than they are. The God of Israel is just, he can just help them when they're on the hills. But when we're in the valleys, oh yeah. No. <laughs> I need another ant. Okay, thank you. All right. At this point, a man of God approached and said to the king of Israel, here's what Adonai says. Because Aram said that Adonai is a God of the hills, but not a God of the valleys, I will hand over to you this entire huge army. Then you will know that I am Adonai. So he's showing, he's proving to this enemy army that he's not limited by any space. Whenever we put limits on God or we put God in a box, what is that? That's pride. That's saying, oh, that God can't do that. That's not humility. When we boast about the kingship of God, when we say that he is God over the hills and the valleys, when he's God over the past and the present, when he's God over the future, when he's God over our families and and, 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 what is that? That's humility. Because we're acknowledging that he is king over all these things. So I wanna encourage us to ask some questions on this Shabbat. What are some houses, some boxes, that we have made for God to live in? What are some limits that we have put on the one who speaks and it is so? We might not even be aware of these limits, but let's try to become aware. Let's change our thinking on this and acknowledge that God is not limited by space the same way that we are. We can't be everywhere at once, but guess who can? The Lord. Another way to think about this is to think about all the places that we have been. When I went away to college, God was with me there, and he actually drew me to himself. That's where I came to faith in Yeshua. When I was teaching in Mississippi and really struggling with classroom management issues, God was with me there to encourage me. Everything I went through, every place that I have been, God was there. So the question is, what places have you been where you can recognize that God was sovereign over that place and that time? Recognizing that is a key part of humility. And of course, if God is not limited by space, he's also not limited by time. This is a little bit further in the Haftarah portion from Isaiah 66, starting in verse 7. Before going into labor, she gave birth. Before her pains came, she delivered a male child. Whoever heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen such things? 
Is a country born in one day? Is a nation brought forth all at once? For as soon as Zion went into labor, she brought forth her children. Would I let the baby break through and not be born? Asked Adonai. Would I, who causes the birth, shut the womb? Asked your God. Well, I know of one nation that was born in a day, which fits the rest of this context of the passage. What nation is that? Israel, absolutely. And this is how the passage continues. Rejoice with Jerusalem. Be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice, rejoice with her, all of you who mourned for her, so that you nurse and are satisfied by her comforting breast, drinking deeply and delighting in the overflow of her glory. For Adonai says, I will spread shalom over her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried in her arm and cuddled in her lap like someone comforted by his mother. I will comfort you in Jerusalem for you will be comforted. The Lord will do what? Regather his people, the sons of Jacob, and restore them. He will restore them physically and spiritually. He will restore them to the land and he will restore their hearts. He can do something that seems to need decades in a single day. That's what he said. But also, he could do the opposite, right? He could do something we think should be a quick fix and it could take decades. But that's up to him. He is sovereign over time. And the passage reminds us that if God starts a project, what does he do? He finishes it. Have you ever started something and not finished it? Yes? Okay, I know I have. Am I alone here? (laughs) Baruch Hashem, that the Lord is not like that. (laughs) Amen. Acknowledging that God is sovereign over time helps us also with humility because it leads to trust. Unhurried, shalomi trust. If it's all up to me, then I can get ashamed or I can get proud. But if the timing is up to God, then I have a steadiness. There are things we want to see on this earth. There are visions that God himself has given us that have not yet happened. There are hopes that we have for the future that are not yet realized. We have a vision here at Tikvot to bridge and restore the relationship between Yeshua, the Jewish people, and the nations. Has that happened yet? Not in fullness. It's, it's starting to happen, but you know it hasn't happened yet. So what do we do? God is faithful. God finishes the work that he starts. Not always in our timing that we're comfortable with, but always on time on his calendar. He has a calendar. Let's close now with a description of Yeshua the Messiah, who, not surprisingly, is the perfect example of humility from a human standpoint and sovereignty over time and space from a divine standpoint. This is how Paul explains it in Philippians 2. Let your attitude toward one another be governed by your being in union with the Messiah Yeshua. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God something to be possessed by force. On the contrary, he emptied himself in that he took the form of a slave by becoming like human beings are. And when he appeared as a human being, he humbled himself still more by becoming obedient even to death, death on the stake as a criminal. Therefore, God raised him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that in honor of the name given Yeshua, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Yeshua, the Messiah, is Adonai, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Avinu, our Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. 
Thank you that you're helping us not to turn on ourselves, to think about our accomplishments or our mistakes, but to, to be humble by focusing on you, Lord, focusing on your sovereignty over time, your sovereignty over space, your sovereignty over the, the things that you've, you've told us that have not yet happened, Lord. And we trust you, Lord, and we entrust all these things to you. And we acknowledge that you are king. Help us to, to continue to bow down and make you king over every area of our lives and to grow in humility that, that we can have the mind of Yeshua the Messiah who emptied himself even unto death. And because our lives are yours, Lord, and we need to also take up our cross and die to ourselves and what we want in order to acknowledge you as, as king, because we are your servants and we are your children. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen.